0: Today is Trinity Sunday. It is one of those overlooked Sundays of the Christian year. In uh, several liturgical denominations, it's also called Hazing Sunday because senior pastors will assign this uh, Sunday, Trinity Sunday, to young associates and give them 18 minutes or so to figure out 2,000 years of Trinitarian theology, the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love preaching... uh, Trinity Sunday, one of the many reasons is preachers all across the world will be trying to find object lessons, metaphors that will help us make sense of the Trinity, like candles. Three different lights merge into one. Uh, For the fourth time in a row, three different horses have won the race of the Triple Crown, the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. I tried to make that work as a metaphor for Trinity Sunday, but it doesn't. But I was thinking that maybe in the years that there is a winner of the Triple Crown, it's one horse who wins all three races. I don't know if that works or not. I don't even know if I'm allowed to compare the Holy Trinity to horse racing, especially with my bishop here, but there you go. Um, Triangles get used. Dinner triangles get used in worship. Somewhere in a church, water in its three states of solid, liquid, and gas are used to explain the Trinity. We tell our confirmation class, we we use a mathematical equation, we say one plus one plus one equals what? One, yeah, that's, that's how mathematically challenging and illogical the Holy Trinity is. It's geometrically complicated, and I'll, I'll never forget something that we asked one of our confirmands several years ago, and it actually surfaced in the early children's minute uh, when Jason said, what do you know about the Trinity? Just like we asked our confirmands, they said, oh, that's a, that's a fantastic school here in town, right? <laughs> but any preacher worth her or his salt We'll use the best example, and one I should have made available in the breezeway out here. The Holy Trinity is like Neapolitan ice cream, chocolate, and vanilla, and strawberry. They share the same substance, although they are a little bit different. Now everyone's hungry. Embracing you, welcoming you, inviting you to worship every single Sunday are symbols of the Trinity, the Florida de Lis. The steps, the series of three steps that you came up The series of three steps here. We sing the Gloria. It's very Trinitarian. We recite a creed, which is very Trinitarian. Everything we do is surrounded by these images of the equality between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Under this archway right here, we bless things in the name of the Trinity at baptism, at marriage, at confirmation, at death. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Lucas Tribble will make his way up into this chancel area. And Bishop David Graves will lay his hands on Lucas's head and say, take thou authority as an elder in the United Methodist Church. And when he does that, he will say, do this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, It's one of the holiest times throughout the year. I hope you'll be here tomorrow night. Come early, standing room only. But the best way that I know how to think about the Trinity or to describe the Trinity, ice cream, math, geometry, the emotions of ordination aside, is to note that the Trinity is a working relationship. The Trinity was the very first community Maybe the best thing we can hear about the the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today, is that the Trinity exists for relationship and for community. And then the Trinity also exists for unity amid its diversity. Now, that's pretty Trinitarian. The Trinity itself is about relationships, community, and being unified in its diverse roles. That's important for the church to hear because we are created in God's likeness and because of that, we are created for relationship. We are created for community. We are created that despite all that seeks to divide us, we would find ways to be united in mission and in message. So it causes pause to say, And I know everyone who's here and everyone watching today, we all crave the same thing. We all crave relationship. We all crave some form of authentic community. And I hope we all crave ways to move forward despite all that's trying to divide us in this world. I think once we realize that the Trinity is about relationship, that it's about community and not some convoluted theorem, that all of a sudden Trinity Sunday Becomes really interesting. It's a feast day, and most feast days throughout the church calendar are based on a singular event Easter, Christmas, Pentecost but not this feast day. It's based more on a doctrine than it is an event. The doctrine of the Trinity, and the doctrine of the Trinity is formed early in in Genesis and it runs throughout. Scripture, but nowhere in the 66 books of the Bible will you find the word Trinity. You'll only understand thoughts about it, doctrine from which it comes. However, if we lean a little closely into the words of the Nicene Creed that we just declared about the Godhead being begotten, not made, then we learn the Trinity actually is an event. The Trinity is an ongoing event, and here's how it works God the Father continues to create life in this world. God the Son continues to roll away stones and raise life where none exists. God the Spirit continues to comfort and convict for God's work in this world. And when we say the Trinity, that God is the Trinity, what we're saying is God is relationship, and God is modeling in the Godhead relationship relationships for people. So I want us to think about healthy relationships. What do they do? Let's make a list. Healthy relationships do this. One, healthy relationships communicate. The healthiest relationships communicate really well. Healthy relationships share resources instead of hoarding. Healthy relationships are not clenched fists but open palms. Healthy relationships place the spotlight on the other person, not on the self. Healthy relationships serve and support one another. They figure out ways to solve problems, begin assigning tasks to that. And healthy relationships always, always listen. That's true of the Trinity. It's true of our relationships as well, because what we know about healthy relationships, this side of heaven is modeled for us in the Trinity. And some of you are probably thinking, okay, so what? So, so why is this important when I wake up tomorrow and deal with Monday? Well, the way I see it, relationships require a lot of work, and they require attention. And where we give our attention says a lot about our soul. How we spend our time determines who we will become or not become. Trinity Sunday says relationships and community are what occupies God's attention and that despite all the diversity of roles among the Trinity, the Godhead places unity above all else. So should the church. Trinitarian theology matters. Sound Trinitarian theology matters More today than ever. Well, maybe. (laughs) I thought about this. I thought about another time in the church when God performed a miracle uh, during a season when politics and cultural divisions and religion were so chaotic. It was on July 4th, 325 in the year of our Lord. Over 200 bishops gathered for the Council of Nicaea at the request of the Roman emperor, Constantine. The church had been so divided, so splintered along political lines, theological lines, but they took a huge step forward a faith to try to settle a 300-year dispute between the nature of Christ, how the Trinity works. That's the creed we professed earlier, the Nicene Creed. We read it on Trinity Sunday because it represents the importance of laying aside that which divides us. Someone told me between services that um, at his postgraduate work many years ago, uh, they were put in a cohort with uh, people that were so different from them. And I found this in my own work as well. What I have discovered is that about 90 or 95 percent of the things that we uh, we have in common with one another. But so often it's the 5% or the 10% at the most of the things that that we don't agree on that we choose to be our identity markers. And we throw away the 90 instead of keeping the 10. We throw away the 10 instead of keeping the 90. How do we rise above that? The early church in the first 400 years, they took a step and said, "Hmm, let's figure out a way to stay focused on point what Jesus Christ wants for His church, and however we may be crossed up otherwise, we're going to have a laser-pointed way of stating what it is in which we believe. We sang it this morning too, God in three persons, blessed trinity. From those moments, from those statement moments, from that moment in history, the the church started saying relationships matter, communities matter, and unity, despite all of our divisions, matters matters to God and it matters to the church because there are no divisions so wide, no differences so deep that the church cannot overcome those by looking at the Trinity for models of relationship. So over that span of 400 years, the church had to work hard to find common ground. There were so many fractures and so many fissures Christians have been forming and and reforming now for about 2,000 years over social matters and scriptural interpretation, and we still are. What I hope we won't allow to divide ourselves over is relationships and community, because those are people. And the covenant that we share is like the covenant that the Trinity shares, that although we are uniquely different, we are one community. Although we are many, we are one. Although we are as diverse in our abilities as the Trinity, we are one. Strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, we're all still ice cream at the end of the day. So I don't know why we work for division. That's not in the spirit of Trinity Sunday, in my opinion. Paul knew it, and he lived it. His relationships were complicated. You'll remember he persecuted Christians, probably killed them held their coats at the very least while they martyred Christians and stoned them. His relationships were complicated and the communities where he was trying to plant churches were ever-changing and ever-evolving. I think that's why he wrote to these early churches this pastoral word when he said, listen, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And that kind of hope will never shame us. It will never disappoint us because it comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? I think what Paul is saying there will be suffering. And suffering comes in many forms it comes in grief, loss of job, lack of food, it comes in fractured relationships that are in need of repair. It comes individually, it comes through families. Suffering presents itself in in systems and organizations as well. There will be suffering, but we suffer together. There will be a time to endure, and we endure together. We build character with one another, we hope, with one another, and anything less than getting through life together runs counter, in my opinion, to the nature of the Holy Trinity. We endure together. I'm reminded of a story in a local church. Um, Pastors stand on the front portico there and greet parishioners, and After worship one Sunday, there was a pastor who noticed that all the people were going out that door and none were coming over here to this door. So he started wondering, but he knew that he had this ringer in his back pocket, someone who was always going to have something positive to say. And so that person came through and said, Pastor, your sermon today was so good. It reminded me of the peace and the love of God. The pastor was thrilled and said, No one's ever told me that my sermon reminded them of the peace and the love of God. Tell me why. Well... It reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all of our ability to understand and the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> some of you have some of you have those looks on your face right now. <laughs> Hear the good news. Today's sermon will end. The work of the Trinity and the love of God in your life will not. I don't know if you've been through a grief support group If you needed that structure, we have that here at our church. It's a great opportunity for someone who is suffering through the valleys of life and for whom the fog is so thick and they just can't peek through and take the next step. But there's a voice or there's someone on the other side who who has tread those same steps and know the direction and they walk with them through it. And and inevitably what you'll hear is someone who's struggling with something, grief or addiction or brokenness or loss, they'll say, how do you get through the hard times? Like, how did you get from where I am to where you are right now? And a lot of times there's a reminder that says, you have to remember that it will end, that the worst things are never the last things. It's kind of like thinking you get on a roller coaster and say, well, this is so fun, I just want to stay on this roller coaster forever. Nobody says that. (laughs) The best things end and the worst things end, but we suffer together, we endure those together, and we hope together. Red tells Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption that hope is a dangerous thing, Andy. Hope will get a man killed what Red missed is that hope is not blind optimism. Hope is not something that we conjure up for ourselves because we're always going to let ourselves, we are always disappoint our, ourselves and maybe lose a little faith in life when we do. But the Christian faith never pretends that life is perfect or that it's never bad. We, we do not offer one another platitudes when someone dies unexpectedly, or suffers a prolonged illness, or when a tornado hits a community, or when there's another headline about a school shooting. We had one this week, it was a little closer to home. Our faith does not remove us from suffering but embraces that God is with us amid that suffering. Someone said it like this. So maybe the way suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope is that suffering, endurance and character actually free us. They free us from the burden of having to naively be optimistic and, and be more absolute realistic about the God who is with us and will not leave us in those moments. Hmm. Is it possible that what remains when everything else has been taken from us, is it possible that when denominations and world leaders and federal governments argue into oblivion that hope remains? Is our hope that God is still writing the story, our story, and inviting us to hold the paper or help take the pen while God writes that story Ours is the hope that God can and will redeem all of our junk and that despite every disheartening thing that we have done and despite all the suffering we have endured, there is no depth of hell that God cannot reach down and resurrect new life. It's true of your life. It's true for your family. It's true for our church and for our conference and our denomination and for all of God's created world. This is the hope that will not disappoint And in a day and age when it's so easy to walk away from relationships when things get too hard or there's any degree of disagreement or when peer pressure from outside influencers is weighing on us because of our alliances, we say things like, well, I don't wanna be associated with anything that's controversial or might put my beliefs in the spotlights. I don't even know that I know what I believe. Listen, I get all that. It creates so much anxiety and so much fear But that's the way that being monotheistic has always worked. To follow God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will inevitably pit our loyalties of this world against our loyalty with God. So much so that Joshua said, choose whom you will serve on this day, and then the next day, and then the next day. As for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. No one said it would be easy, but we figured it out together. I also know that when Jesus said, follow me, it placed a target on, on the backs of all of those who would be so bold because Jesus went into the margins of life and began making everybody mad at the way he said we should love and forgive. I also know that when the Holy Spirit came down, there was so much power and conviction and joy, we read it last week, that the onlookers said, I know it's only nine in the morning, but they sure do look drunk to me. Hmm. Following the lead of God the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, it's never been a popularity contest and it will always put us in, in tension with the ways of the world and with our friends, maybe our family, our own beliefs in that tension, and, and we're told to run from that tension, not to sit with it, but why? Why walk away from relationships or community or the many voices and stories that allow us to be the best version of humanity that we can be in suffering through so many divisions, whatever that label, politically, culturally, denominationally, I like to think that Paul would say, guys, gals, stay in it. It's hard. It's always been hard. Someone said, but not too hard. Stay together. We're better that way. We're designed that way. Because when the church deals with suffering and tension and conflict it will produce character and it will set a holy example for the world for them to find hope in something or someone who will not disappoint i'm praying this especially for our annual conference this week it's a business session so we'll spend a lot of time talking about budgets and money and resolutions all things business oriented (laughs) but i know the heart of our bishop about as close to the heart of jesus as anybody i know and so he wants us to focus on mission message changing our corner of the world So in the long shot that our clergy and lay members might remain focused on the ever-moving work of the Trinity, I just wonder if God could raise up something, something exhilarating among us. Case in point. As you know, um, 49 other churches at the start of the Easter season said, we we want want to be part of the great 50-day challenge. We don't know if we can do it. We don't know if we can complete it, but we're willing to give it a try. And some stayed the course and some were not able to stay in there this year, but they're going to join us next year. And as a result, 27 churches in our Alabama-West Florida Conference took in 760 new people for Jesus Christ. Amen? My colleagues Jeffrey Lentz told me many years ago, we grow our way out of crises. That's what the covenants were all about in the Old Testament. That's what the work of the church has always been about. It's how the Trinity has always operated. I want to share with you in closing an inspiring story from my colleague Mike von Kieserling Mike serves Sneed's United Methodist Church which is a suburb of Mariana, Florida. Sneed's sits there on the Alabama uh, Florida and the Alabama Georgia or the Georgia Florida line. I mean it's just right there. It's a country church Mike is the pastor of that church and he's given me uh, permission to share this because I'm so inspired by it Sneed's is a smaller membership church, but they believe in the work, the relationships, the community, the unity of despite the divisions of what they've learned from the Holy Trinity, and they believe in the United Methodist Church, so they took a huge step by joining this great 50-day challenge. And he shared with the 49 other churches an email that I want to read to you. He said, I want to let you know how Sneed's United Methodist Church did on our 50-day challenge Our original goal was to grow by 50 new members. We actually achieved eight new members. And when I looked at this, I was disheartened, but I realized that that was an increase of four times over the number of new members we received last year for the whole year, and we still have six months left in this one. (laughs) I've also received word that Others are wanting to join within the next couple of weeks. And here's some other encouraging numbers to report that were not part of our original goal. Uh, Sunday morning attendance went from 55 to 75. Sunday school attendance went from 8 to 18. Wednesday night attendance went from 12 to 25. Now, they might not have reached 50 new members, but I'm not very good at math, but they've increased everything by 50%. Amen? What a model! What a model of God's work. He also said our Facebook posts went from about 200 to 400, reaching almost 2,000 people, which is not too shabby for a town of 1,800 people. <laughs> they now have 260 members on Facebook, which is an increase of 20 people. He says on a side note, the great 50-day challenge work We're energized and we're looking forward to what God will do in our small country church in the future. We're already seeing it happen. We've been averaging 41 kids a night for vacation Bible school. And we're able to meet those children and their families. Listen, God is up to something in our corner of the world. God is always up to something because... God chooses to focus on relationships and community and unity despite all that divides us. So God just continues to keep breathing life into this world and rolling away stones from tombs. They're trying to keep joy and hope and mission and message all bottled up. What the message of the Trinity says is this, my friends. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. And that should be the message of the church. We're in it together. Come what may, because relationships and community matter to God. They matter to us. May it be so. Say it with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.